0: The song that we just sang is a carol with an interesting history. Let me read just a paragraph out of one of the background uh, books that we have on our hymns. It all began on December twenty-fourth, 1818, in the little village of Obernorth in the Alpine section of Austria. When it was discovered that the organ at St. Nicholas Church would not function and the music planned for the Christmas Eve service could not be used. Father Joseph Moore, the assistant priest, decided to write a new song to be used instead. He prepared the text and asked the acting organist, Franz Gruber, to compose the tune. The resultant composition, written for two voices and a guitar, was sung in the service that evening. And then later, a man came to fix the organ. And when he did, he got a hold to the song and took it to some people who took it to some other people. And it began to be recognized as a nice carol to be used. But what popularized it was, a few years later, about 10 years later, a family called the Strausser family who were glove makers and folk singers became familiar with the song and they visited the fair at Leipzig in 1831 and they sang it and then they sang it as a family folk group for the rest of their life all over that region. So what we have in this carol is the beginning of guitar-driven congregational singing. <laughs> and it's a guitar song, it has three chords. The tonic subdominant, seventh. That's the only chords that you need to play this song in any key on a guitar. And it's one of the favorites. It's a beautiful one. And it has some phrases. Even though it's a simple verse, it has some phrases that provide for us some things to look at this morning. I'll mention a couple of them. One is in the very first stanza. Round yon virgin mother and child. We're going to talk about That scene of the mother with the child. And then it also mentions, Alleluia to the King. Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. And it speaks of redeeming grace. Redeeming grace. And I'd like to try to just sort of tie some of those threads together this morning. Uh, if we were making a movie, we would have a scene. And the scene would be that scene that we see all the time, the crash. It would be the scene of the stable and the animals, the manger with the straw, and with the baby Jesus there. And His mother Mary, father Joseph, there in that place, little stable, in the town of Bethlehem, which is the city of David, about six miles south of Jerusalem. So here's the scene. The scene is the picture of a woman holding a baby in the town of Bethlehem. But that's not the first place we've seen that scene in the Bible. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Ruth. Page 224 in your pew Bible. If you have not brought your own, 224, and I want to show you this exact scene from the Old Testament. Ruth, you remember, is a story written in the time of the judges. And you're familiar with the story. I won't tell it. But I will tell you that Naomi has gone into Moab, the land of Moab, when there was a famine. She's lost her husband and her two sons. Her two sons have married Moabite women, and one of them stays behind, and one of them, Ruth, her daughter-in-law, returns with her back to the little village of Bethlehem. Ironically, the town of Bethlehem means house of bread, and they had left the house of bread to go into Moab during a famine. But now they're back in the land. And you know the story of how Ruth begins to take care of her mother-in-law and she gleans in the field and she, she sets forth the example of a wonderful and beautiful virtuous woman and she catches the eye of a man named Boaz. And Boaz gets to know her and as time goes by and with the help of her mother-in-law and it's a beautiful love story. It's a story of intrigue. It's a story of suspense. It's a beautiful story. But finally... Boaz marries Ruth and is born to them a little baby by the name of Obed. Let me read you the very climax of the story here in Ruth chapter 4. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, the mother-in-law, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to Him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. Here's a woman holding a baby in the town of Bethlehem. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He, Obed, grew up to be the father of Jesse, who was the father of David, who became the king? Isn't that a beautiful story? Isn't that a beautiful scene? Well, everything we know about Jesus, we know from the Old Testament. And everything we know about the Old Testament teaches us that God is writing the script that is leading to the redemption of His people. And this is exactly what's going on here. What has caused this scene to take place is a practice in Israel that was God-given. It was a practice called the kinsman redeemer. The goel in the Hebrew. The kinsman redeemer was someone in the family who would act to meet a situation that somehow redeemed or restored the family. It was part of Old Testament family law. The kinsman redeemer would reclaim a right that had lapsed or something that had been lost. He would do it for the family honor. He would do it to save possessions or even to reclaim or to, to avenge a life. To reclaim a field or an inheritance. And this is who Boaz was. He was a kinsman to Naomi's husband. He was not the nearest kinsman. There was one nearer than he. But the one nearer than he decided he would not act. It would be too costly for him to act to redeem this family. And so Boaz stepped up and redeemed Naomi's family by taking the daughter-in-law, marrying the widow, bringing about offspring and lineage to the house giving them a heritage, restoring their property. And that's what Boaz did. Boaz is actually the kinsman redeemer. But he is actually the father of one who pictures the redeemer Christ. It is like the father and the son relationship that we see in the Godhead where the father provides the redeemer. The Bible says he gave went in to Ruth and there was conception and that's how Jesus comes to us the father by the spirit caused by miracle a virgin to conceive and in so doing Mary became the true fulfillment of Eve all the promise had been given to Eve that she would have a seed that would crush the head of the serpent but of course we know Cain didn't quite fill the bill Neither, of course, did Abel or or Seth. They just pointed to a day when there would come a new and another Eve who would become the mother of a new humanity. And that's what we see with the Virgin Mary. And the child, Obed, the little baby that's born, the very word Obed means servant. And that's who Jesus is. He is the complete outliving and accomplishing of everything that was in the servant psalms. Everything that's in the Isaiah passages that talked about what the servant would be. Jesus even saw his role on earth as that of Obed, the servant. He did not come to be served, but to serve, to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Well, that's exactly what the women sang about. By the way, I don't know where these women went to seminary, but the women of Bethlehem knew the Scriptures, and they pronounced not only this blessing in the early part, but this prophecy, they even named the Son. The women just took over in every way on this scene and, and did what needed to be done and fulfilled everything. These women were the precursors of the women who would come to be the heroes of of Mary and when Mary would finally in that long lineage of wonderful godly women she would say I am the handmaiden of the Lord do with me that which you have said and so in this scene we find the women stepping up the women said to Naomi blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and I'm here to tell you if I don't tell you anything else this morning God will not leave you without a redeemer God will save your soul no matter how lost you are, no matter how dispossessed you are, no matter how far away you are. You may need a kinsman redeemer, someone that will buy you out of slavery, someone that will pay off a debt, someone that will meet all the family obligations. And this kinsman redeemer must be a kinsman. It must be someone that's in your humanity. He must be like you. He must be like his brethren. And that's who Jesus is. You see, the incarnation is... There's two things that happened in the life of Christ that give us the miracle and the wonder and the nature of the Christian faith. that separates it from all other religions and that is something that happened in the flesh of Jesus when he was conceived. He was human. God in human flesh. There's another thing we don't talk about it now. Join me if we're still here together in Easter and we'll have a time where we'll talk about the other great fleshly miracle and that's the resurrection of the body, the flesh, the body of Jesus. Christianity is all about the flesh. It's all about redeeming the humanity and redeeming and saving the race of people. And Jesus is our kinsman. He's our brother. He is made like unto us in the flesh. Paul says in the book of Galatians chapter 4, that we are... Let me see if I can find it here. I almost can quote it. Yeah, I I want to get it right. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, including the law of the Goel, the kinsman redeemer, To redeem those who are under the law. This word keeps popping up as we read these scriptures. A redeemer. That's what the women said. The women talked about a redeemer. The Lord has not left you this day without a redeemer. Someone that will buy you out of your slavery, buy you out of your difficulty. The Redeemer is the someone that pays a price. Redemption always involves the payment of a price. And the Bible tells us in many places that we're redeemed by the blood of Christ. It's the life of Christ. The life that came into being at conception. By the way, the conception is a virgin conception. The birth is a normal human birth. We refer sometimes to the virgin birth. And that might be a little confusing because the birth was quite ordinary it's the conception and it is in that that Christ can be our redeemer he's now a a person who has blood in his veins and the scriptures teach us throughout the gospel preaching the apostolic preaching that we are redeemed we are ransomed by the blood of Christ it was necessary that he have a body it was necessary that he be subject to death it was necessary that he had blood that would flow and the blood of Jesus Christ in his sufferings oozed through the pores of his skin in the garden it trickled down his back from the stripes they were laid on him at his beating. The blood of Jesus dripped into the sand from the wounds, from the nails in his hands and in his feet. And then the blood flowed from his side. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's name. I shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. And that life that poured out as the life of the flesh is in the blood. That life that poured out is that price, that precious, infinite price that it takes to redeem us and to ransom us. The scripture says that unto us a child is born. That's Jesus in His humanity. A little child there in the manger. In His mother's arms in Bethlehem. But the same prophecy says in parallel, Unto us a Son is given. There's the divine in Christ. The Son of God. Given for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Well, oh, I don't know if the women of Bethlehem back then understood all the gospel, but they understood quite a bit of it. They said he'd be a redeemer. His name would be renowned in Israel. There'd be one day a name above, that was above every name. And it was at the name of Jesus that there would be salvation. And look at this. He shall be to you a restorer of life, these women said. This redeemer will restore your life. That's resurrection. That's regeneration in your life. He will restore your life. Your life is forfeited. Your life is under a sentence, a condemnation. Your soul is under a curse. Your whole life is in a captivity, an enslavement, a thraldom to sin. You need a redeemer. You need someone who will come and pay the price that will ransom you and buy you out of your captivity and release you. That's what that word means in the New Testament. The Lutron word group all through the New Testament with various performatives still means the same thing. Be loose to be liberated. But you're not liberated by fiat. You're liberated by a payment of a price, a just price. You're under the curse. You need someone to bear that curse for you. And to bring instead to you the blessing, you're under a condemnation. You need someone to pay your penalty. You need a sentence upon your life, not of guilt, but of acquittal, of justification. You need to be liberated and justified. You need to be blessed and you need to be made alive. And all of these things that you need desperately in your spiritual condition, in your lost estate, you need Jesus' supplies. He'll be a redeemer. His name will be renowned. He shall be a restorer of life and a nurturer to you in your old age. That's what Jesus does, that's why He came. He gave Himself for us that He might redeem us, Paul says in Titus. In Hebrews 9, it says, He took His own blood into the Holy of Holies and there made the atonement, paid the ransom price and offered it to the Lord. In his great sentence of exaltation as Paul begins the letter to the Ephesians, he says, in whom, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood. And this theme is the theme of the Scriptures and I can prove it to you because that's what they're singing about in heaven. Let me just read a couple of words from the songs in heaven. And the saints sang a new song saying, worthy are you, For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. A doxology in the first chapter of Revelation says, From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn. He's the firstborn of many brethren, He's the firstborn of all creation. And by His resurrection, He's the firstborn from the dead. That's what it says here. The firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To Him, to Jesus. Listen to this. When I read these two verses, I'm done. Listen to this. To Him who loves us and has freed us, liberated us from our sins by His blood, And made us a kingdom. Priests to God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.